Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning. It is Monday, the 7th of March, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Producing for us today, Ryan Mitchell. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Do you want to give a shout out? Are mom and dad listening by any chance? I don't think at this time in the morning, Mm -hmm. possibly on the podcast, but not right now. So that means that later on today, you can listen to this program or share it with someone else. You just go to MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Ask, um, you know, you can even ask Siri. Siri, play Mornings with Carmen. And she will do it. Or Alexa. Alexa will do it, too. There you go. Um, That's what you're looking for. Share it with others, including Ryan's parents today. He's actually going to be producing all week um, as our uh, faithful producer, Paul Perot, is taking a much-deserved week off. All right. What is today? That's going to be my lead off question. So just ask yourself, what day is it? What day is it? So I take a deep breath and I say, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's the most important thing I can know about today. This is the day the Lord has made. He will be faithful in it. I can be confident of that. We also call this day Monday. Um, Looking at your personal calendar, scrolling your phone, uh, you've probably got some alerts on there for today. And so this is the day you plan to get up, go to work, get kids off to school, keep some appointments you have set, uh, make some deadlines, make good on some deadlines out there, do some things that you didn't get done over the weekend that you had planned to do for one reason or another. So this is that day, right? So I was... um, watching some interviews that were recorded in a train station in Poland, just eight miles from the Ukrainian border. And uh, as this interview was going on, this woman's phone was sending her calendar alerts. And the interviewer said, what, what, you know, what is that? And she said through tears, oh, that was my appointment that I made two weeks ago for my child to see the pediatrician. Today was the day she thought she was taking her child to the doctor, safe in the city of Kiev. Now she sits with her children in a train station in Poland, having no idea where she's going next. For that woman, it's that day. So what day is it? We're going to be talking at the open of Hour 2 this morning with Jenny Lynn Schmidt. She's a European correspondent for World News Group. She is in Europe covering the growing humanitarian crisis as Russian forces intentionally targets uh, civilians attempting to flee. That's the picture, by the way, that you would see if you opened any, any media source this morning. You are going to see photographs 
of people who are no longer living. And I'm very sensitive to how I phrase that this morning because I know there are little ears listening. But there are now images of Ukrainian civilians, including families, including a child as young as eight, on the front page of the New York Times and everywhere else where free media is being broadcast around the world. So I am praying that the third ceasefire promised by Russia for civilians to leave through humanitarian corridors will be honored by Russian troops who have to this point continued to fire upon uh, civilians every time Russia has promised a ceasefire. So we're going to talk about more of the headlines of this day. But waiting right now to join us is Dave Buring from Lion Share. I love talking with Dave. He is encouraging in terms of the things of the faith. And I want to talk with him this morning about this, this idea that we have these rights. Like we have, a, we have a nation built on rights, and we love our rights. We love to proclaim our rights. We know when our rights are being infringed upon, and we stomp around mad about it. So what does it look like? What does it look like for people of faith to surrender our right to be right. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen with Dave Buring. is back joining us from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Um, I am well. I am well. Um, there are storms crossing the country. I've been praying for yep. the people of Iowa this morning and they, as they wake up to the aftermath of dozens of tornadoes across that state and in yep. some places, uh, deadly ones. And uh, maybe like you, I am in a place that is facing those kinds of storm lines today. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm probably like everybody else. I have my list of things that I think the day is going to hold. And then I hold it all up to God and say, um, I'll be yours in the midst of whatever comes. Yep. And when I'm done with you, I'm on my way to the airport to fly to Boston. So I have to mm-hmm. speak at three this afternoon. So we'll see if I get there or not. Well, Prayers for travel mercies. That's um, absolutely, absolutely prayers uh, upon you um, and over you as you travel today. Um, let's talk about season four, episode five of your mm-hmm. podcast um, at lionshare.org. Um, I, I think this conversation about surrendering my right to be right uh, is, a, is a hard and important conversation to have. It is indeed. Um, Even as Sonia and I were doing the podcast, uh, I felt like in the middle of it, I had to lighten it up just a little bit because it is a it is one of those topics that cuts against the grain of some of our cultural mentality. And yet it's very much Jesus and his kingdom. And as we talk about this today, I think it's important at the outset to be able to say, hey, we're talking about relinquishing rights. A couple things. One, it does not mean that we don't take responsibility for the people and things in our lives. Those are things God has given us. And along with that, to recognize that that our life is about stewarding what God gives us. 
And as we know, there's there's changes that come in our life, and, and God gives, God takes away, God asks us to lead this, to serve this, to it's time to be done with that. And I think if we can view this conversation a bit through the lens of stewarding and availability to God, I think it'll help us frame it right. And I think that when we start using terms like servant— um, and when Scripture mm-hmm. uses words like slave, I think it's important for us to be sure that, you know, we're, we're just recognizing at the outset of the conversation, we're, we're actually not talking about someone else making you do something. We're not talking about That's someone right. else forcing you into, um, you know, a, a submitted oppressive relationship. We're talking about those of us who in Christ recognize um, that we are called to have the very mind of Christ in the matters of the day, and we follow um, willingly alongside, uh, walking step by step with um, a a Lord and Savior who became the servant of all. So it's in that spirit that we're having this conversation today. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're as followers of Jesus, we want to look more like Jesus in our attitudes, in our actions, the things that we lead, and that we can't get around the dynamic in Scripture of Jesus serving and asking us to do the same. So I I couldn't agree more. The word surrender comes up over and over and over and over again in this conversation. So can you talk about the word servanthood and the word surrender? Yeah, the the word I like to to, um, use, Carmen, for my own journey is the word yielded. Because Mm, what that means to me is I like to be yielded uh, in my heart, in my attitudes, and here's a big one, my agenda, you know, be yielded to it. I might have this plan for the day, but what if God has a little bit of a different plan? Am I yielded to his plan, to his will, to the things that he's putting in my life? And so um, that's one of the words I like to use in this conversation is surrender to me is not kind of just my hands up and I surrender and you take me over. It's not that. It's more of a yieldedness of my will my heart, my attitudes, to be available for the things that God wants me to be involved in this day. Yeah. When I'm yielding, um, it may be that I need to accelerate. That's not mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. a slow down and give up. It's a, yeah. it may be that in order to get on pace and in the lane that God uh, has for me today and right now, I actually have to speed up, um, yes. you know, to, to get going with God where he's going at the pace that he wants me to move. All right. We're That's talking right. with Dave Buring. We're talking about yielding um, our right to be right, uh, surrendering our right to be right. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share, we're talking about, well, surrendering your right to be right or yielding your right to be right. Dave, is there a particular passage of Scripture that sort of moves us into this conversation and then we can, you know, unpack it related to uh, different areas and aspects of our lives? Sure. I always am drawn to the passage uh, from Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, or another version says, to be grasped. So think of a closed fist. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And so I often, Carmen, picture this 
conversation, the difference between a grasped, you know, closed fist holding onto something and an open palm. And I mm. think the way that the scriptures teaches us, it's no matter what God gives us in our palms to steward, there is a openness to him to let him give, to let him take, to let him move us in his kingdom where he wants us relationally, positionally, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a that's a good image because we see Jesus did not grasp even onto considering equality with God. You know, it's an amazing, it's like, if Jesus can relinquish that to come and live in the flesh for us, certainly whatever he's asking us to relinquish for the moment, we can do it. Oh, that's really good. Let's talk about um, this this conversation in relationship to our relationships. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what does it look like for me as, as a servant, as a person um, in Christ, desiring to live more like Christ moment by moment, which requires me yielding? to the present power of the Holy Spirit to make that possible, um, because I am likely going to reassert my right to be right in every single arena of life, including mm-hmm. my relationship. So talk mm-hmm. with me about yielding um, and surrendering my rights in my relationships. Yeah, so there's several categories here. So for me, I, I start with family. And so when I was 18 years of age, graduated from high school, I went off Uh, many miles away to be a missionary with an organization called Youth with a Mission or YWAM. And, you know, I had to relinquish my right to stick around. And my mom and dad had to relinquish their right to me being around. And so I think sometimes, you know, you've maybe heard this, Carmen, too, that the greatest hindrance to missions in the world is parents because they're not willing to relinquish their rights to their kids to go do what God maybe asked them to do. And sometimes there has to be that relinquishing of trusting God with our children as they become of age and start making choices. There's, there's relinquishing our rights to marriage. Uh, one of the things that I have found is that whatever rights we don't relinquish, we're driven by. And this, this, this relates to all these, but particularly in this one, I remember as an 18-year-old, when I went up to receive prayer one day and someone asked me, they said, hey, before we pray for you, can I ask, have you relinquished your rights to God, even in things of family and your job? And I had not. And so at that moment, I did. And that didn't, that didn't change my desire to be married. And I've been married now for 40 years. But the reality is, is the right to sit and think, okay, well, here's a godly woman that I think is pretty. Maybe she's the one. And, and it, it, it changed all the drive there. Because again, what you don't relinquish, you're driven by. It tr- changed all the drive there to wait till God brought the right person. Well, then, of course, when you get married, you're relinquishing your rights to singleness. You can't just say, now that you're married, well, okay, hon, I'm going to go do this. And th- there's a new referencing point you have with that person that you've married. And in my case, my wife, Cheryl, it's referencing, hey, hon, what do you think the Lord's saying about this? Or, hey, hon, I'm thinking about going and watching the game with the guys tomorrow night. What do you think? You know, what's going on? Oh, you know what? I forgot about yet. Oh, I won't go all... You know, so so it's, it's, it's not something that hinders our relationships. It's just lets us have the attitude of a servant where we're yielding to God. Mm. Um, so, Dave, do you ever get distracted? I do. So um, I have just been distracted by an alert on my phone that I am uh, just east of a serious line of thunderstorms that have like 50 mile per hour winds. 
So mm-hmm. can we, and I know I'm not alone, like as I look at this line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also recognize the power of the enemy to distract us from the thing that God wants us to be doing. Um, and so would you pray right now just mm-hmm. for distraction, in not just in my life, but in the lives of you know each of us? Yes, absolutely. Lord, we, we do come before you and we acknowledge to you our neediness that, Lord, we're we're dependent upon you. And so even as these storms come layering across um, the states where we live, and Lord, as we think even about the dynamics in Ukraine today, Lord, we just are asking you for your protection. We're asking God that you would watch over us. And Lord, knowing that you say that you do, it lets us keep our eyes where we're supposed to keep them on you. So Lord, we pray for peace for everybody today that is walking through difficult circumstances, whether it be weather, life, war, we're asking God for your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. I um, mm. Sometimes I just need my friends to help me, you know, recenter back on yep. the things that we're doing. So um, let's um, let's do have one more of these conversations in, okay. in relationship to yielding and surrendering. Um, again, uh, if you visit lionshare.org, you can... Um, not only hear this entire conversation, that, that the conversation that Dave had with um, Sonia Beardson um, on this topic, but you can also download the notes. So the one you're looking for is Surrendering Your Right to Be Right. And again, it's at lionshare.org. Dave, talk with us about um, uh, surrendering or yielding my right to be right in relationship to things that are kind of intangible. Yeah. And so let's make sure we understand we're not saying you don't walk in truth. That's not what we're saying here. Uh, Of course, we're to walk in truth. We're to obey what Jesus teaches. We're to obey what the scriptures show us, how the Holy Spirit leads. Of course, we're to walk in truth. This is more in a context of how we can often destroy relationships and things in our life when we, we are just determined to be right. And, and how, like, again, I often have to say, okay, what's more valuable here? Me being right or the relationship. And we're not dealing with truth, rights and wrongs per se. We're dealing with, okay, well, I think you should do this. Well, I think I should do this. Well, okay, but this is the reason why you should be doing, you know, those kinds of things, they can destroy relationships. And if we demand the right to be right, like I have to be right here. Well, sometimes that, that can be so woven into our identity, that failure is perceived when we're not right, and then it crushes us inside. And, and again, this is where our identity has to be as sons and daughters of God. And But there are times that we have to yield the right to our opinion. There's times the Lord asks me to hold my tongue. Matter of fact, in mm-hmm. some situations that I find myself in, where I'm with, let's say, a half a dozen other leaders, and we're dealing with a matter, an issue, but I'm not on point. In other words, I'm not the, the leader leading it. Sometimes I keep my mouth quiet until that leader calls on me. And that's my cue that the Lord actually wants me to share what I need to share. And so sometimes that's my little, you know, uh, relating to God in the quietness of my heart in the midst of a meeting. Because it's like, I I know I could say it. I could have been the first one to blurt something out because I had an opinion on it. But God, I relinquish my right here to my opinion and I'm going to wait till I'm called upon. And if 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 and there's times that the meeting finishes and I wasn't called upon, so I'd leave okay. I don't have to get with the leader and blurt it out fast and say, "Hey, I didn't get to say this." I just say, "Okay, God, you must. Not, it must not have been important." So I'm trusting you and and walk away. 
And then when the leader calls on me in that setting, then I know, okay, here's my cue. But, but this whole thing of our opinions and our right to be right, we've got to yield that to God because it can often hinder our relationships. Hmm. You might have gone. Um, you might have gone from encouraging to preaching there in that last one. So I, uh, I was taking notes. I was definitely taking notes. Uh, this won't surprise you. I, I might be a, a person with an opinion about everything, and you so <laughs> this waiting until called upon uh, is really, really good. So good. Thank you so much. All right, that's Dave Buring. You can find him at lionshare.org. Dave actually does a really encouraging um, daily devotional. It's on the LionShare Leadership Group app, um, and you can find the resources from today's conversation as well at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Indeed, in the middle of the storm, uh, God is in control. Thank you for your prayers this morning, um, not only for me, but for others across the country who are, uh, you know, facing severe weather. Certainly prayers this morning for our friends across Iowa, those um, those near Des Moines, uh, where there were deadly tornadoes yesterday. Um, prayers as you respond um, to your neighbors and your friends in those communities. Just know that, you know, you're not alone. We're we are literally with you by the power of the Holy Spirit and, um, and with you as resources come into the community, um, you know, from the outside. This, this notion that help, help has to come from the outside this is such, such a good reminder of the reality of, of who we are as sinful, broken people. Help had to come from the outside. I mean, there, there was no salvation inside the system, right? Jesus had to come from what we consider the outside. Um, He had to come from heaven to earth uh, to resolve our sin problem and restore our uh, relationship with the Father, um, that we might indeed live freely now and forever in heaven. Um, And so the notion that help has to come from the outside, if you are today living in the midst of a situation where you really need some help, it's okay to acknowledge that and to ask for it. Every single one of us depends on help that comes from the outside. We all need a Savior, and we all need one another as servants of the Savior in this life to come periodically and help. So please don't um, hesitate today to ask for the help you need. Um, Turn to a local church. Turn to a fellow believer. Turn to the person nearest you right now and just say, um, hey, I'm really struggling and I need some help. Um, Trust me when I tell you, uh, no one, no one is going to decline you. No one. And then let's be the people who are also ready to say yes, prepared to say yes, be a safe person to ask when someone else asks for help. Um, Adam Carrington is rejoining us this morning. For those of you who are regular listeners to Mornings with Carmen, you remember Um, Adam, you also know that he has been uh, away for a period of time dealing with a health issue in his own life, but he feels good enough to return and join us today. So Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College joining us next. We are going to talk about uh, President Biden's Supreme Court nominee. And yes, we are also going to talk about some things related uh, to Russia and the Ukraine. But we're going to lead off with a conversation 
about abortion law and um, and efforts across the country related to access to abortion. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. Like, welcome back, welcome back. It is very, very good to be back. In fact, I was just a little nervous because this is the first thing like this I've done in in about a month. Well, um, here's the good news. It's live radio, so it's super forgiving. And, um, um, And we love you. So you can do no wrong. There you go. How do you feel now? Uh, I will try to not send the grace may abound. I'll make sure of that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's you. lead. Absolutely. No, we're just, we're thrilled to have you back. Um, let's um, let's lead off with this. There's a lot going on across the country at the state level um, ahead of uh, the Supreme Court's dealing with an abortion case out of Mississippi. Lots of people think that is going to lead to um, some adjustment in relationship to the Roe v. Wade decision, maybe overturning it altogether. Um, so talk with us about what's going on with abortion in America. Yeah, uh, so what you're seeing is if, in fact, the court does strike down Roe v. Wade or severely restricts it, then that doesn't end the abortion debate. It moves it to the state level for the most part. And so what you're already having are states jockeying for what does the post-Roe world look like. And uh, on the right, that is they're looking for what bans they're going to put in. Uh, what, when are they going to limit it? Are they going to ban it outright? Are they going to give exceptions? And, but you're also seeing a lot of energy on the left. Uh, you know, you'd expect that from the right. But on the left, um, are there ways that the left thinks they can either pass a constitutional amendment to their state constitutions to protect abortion. Um, A lot are already looking at ways to either uh, pass a law saying that it's a legal right in the state to have an abortion, as places like New York and California already did under the current regime. There are some that are even wanting to make it easier financially for people to have abortions in their state, covering it under under state health care and things like that. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of jockeying where you're going to see a lot of diversity among the states based on what a majority of their voters think about the right to life and the the claims that women uh, make regarding uh, whether abortion is a right itself. So you're going to go from one, everyone staring at the court to everyone staring at their individual state house. And hopefully that will um, uh, cause a better conversation for the unborn going forward. I certainly think that it's easier for us to feel like we can influence what's happening at the state level versus what's happening at the national level. And so I hope that everyone who's listening will be sure and find out what the status of abortion law is in your own state and then advocate um, on behalf of life right where you are. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Adam, uh, about President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Yes. Uh, obviously, if you get to the point where you are being nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court, <clears throat> pardon me, you're impressive. And she's mm-hmm. impressive. She's been on the on the on federal courts for almost a decade. 
an extraordinarily uh, accomplished woman, uh, extraordinarily accomplished jurist, um, and and I think will be nom not just nominated, uh, not not only has been nominated, she will be appointed and and be the next Supreme Court justice. Uh, two thoughts: one, I think some people are talking about her as a mere replacement of Justice Breyer, who she actually clerked for. Uh, earlier in her her when she was earlier in her in her career uh, i i don't think that's quite true briar was a moderate fairly moderate justice uh on a number of issues that i don't think she will be uh so we're gonna have to see if that plays out but i i, I don't see her i see her as a little more lockstep with say justice sotomayor than what we uh than what briar was well but i i think the other thing is I'm not sure she was the best of the group they had. Again, they were all excellent candidates, but I really thought that the best candidate they had was the the uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, the the California Supreme Court Justice, um, uh, and now I'm blanking on her name on on air, uh, who who uh, I, I think thought was very impressive, especially in her writing. That said, I think that um, that, she, that 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 she's going to be nominated. She's going to be appointed, and I think that uh, again, I think she is going to be someone that the base of the Democratic Party is going to be happy with. Yeah, I think um, Leandra Kruger is the name you were looking for. That's it. Yes, Sorry. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, and and here's the thing. Like, I thought about saying it, and then I thought, well, I could be wrong. So there you go. That's yeah. So um, all right. Uh, when we talk about the process of um, confirming a president's nominee to the Supreme Court. Can you just remind us what kind of process we're going to see? Um, because it's been, I do think it has changed in the era where, you know, we all think we get to watch it live on television, the whole thing, the confirmation process. Um, it also, for me, became a little bit like, you know, theater for the um, senators who had the opportunity to ask questions and instead like made speeches, like seeking to make a name for themselves, none of which I found particularly helpful. Um, what is the what is the confirmation process of a Supreme Court justice supposed to include? The only thing the Constitution requires is that the president nominate and then the Senate give advice and consent. So advice has normally been that they uh, and is that they uh, they they give some appraisal of the nominee and then they vote up or down on or at least it decide whether to vote up or down on on the nominee uh, yes or no and that's really it that's all the constitution says so all the other things that come in and what they're going to have is they're going to have in 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 a couple of weeks they're going to have committee hearings where the judiciary committee that is those senators who are dedicated to judicial issues are going to uh, interview her, basically, uh, uh, question her, uh, make statements about her. Um, the uh, uh, debate on the floor of, of the Senate, when if she passes uh, and gets through the Senate committee, it goes to the full um, uh, U.S. Senate and, the, uh, and they debate. That is all at the discretion of the U.S. Senate. Those are ways that they have said we want we, we think this is a better way to formulate our advice and consent. And I think you're right. It's gotten to be where a lot of senators, instead of having a serious conversation about judicial philosophy and what a judge should be and how judges should read and interpret statutes and the Constitution, it really has become looking for 30-second clips to send back home to the voters. 
And I think that is a disservice. And I think if you want to separate the serious senators from the less serious senators in these debates, look for the ones who are making statements and asking questions about what uh, what a judge is, what Article Three of the Constitution that covers judging is about, and asking serious questions about how she as a judge would handle her job differently from, say, if she was running for the House of Representatives or running for the United to be president of the United States. And I think those are the ones that are taking their job seriously and really trying to advise and consent as the Constitution imagined it. All right. We are talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, we are going to pause our conversation and we come back. We're going to continue talking um, about the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm going to ask Dr. Carrington about the action of the Supreme Court on Friday when they reinstated the death penalty of uh, Jokar Sarnayev, the 28-year-old convicted of killing three people and injuring hundreds more when he detonated homemade bombs at the 2013 Boston Marathon finish line. It's an ongoing conversation um, about the death penalty. And as Christians, it's one of those conversations we should be um, read in on. And so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, let's talk a little bit about um, the death penalty. So the United States has... uh, at the federal level, um, the death penalty. Some states still have the death penalty, and I say that because um, laws have changed in relationship to it. Has the sentiment of America changed in relationship to it? And as Christians, how should we think about it? Yeah, and I know you're saying, you're mentioning in relation to the Supreme Court decision, which I think you're you're, you're pointing to the better question, because the, the people are confusing what you're talking about, about the justice of the death penalty and the, and, and the godliness of the death penalty, as opposed to what the Supreme Court was deciding, which was basically, did the Boston bomber get a fair trial? And that's really what all that was about. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, It's a very difficult question for, I think, Christians. I think it comes down to one of prudence, because I think you do have lots of evidence from the Bible that the death penalty was an acceptable, at least in general, punishment. Uh, Going back to Genesis 9, if if you shed uh, the blood of man by man, shall your blood be shed, because man was made in the image of God— uh, the use of the death penalty throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament, and the use of the sword that is given to the magistrate. At the same time, that doesn't mean that the death penalty is always the wisest, or that a society couldn't decide that in most cases, if not overwhelming cases, it isn't the best one. And I think that what Christians have to ask is, how are we going to balance, on one hand, the need to protect each other and the role of government as a protector of the image of God and a protector of society, but also what you lose when you do instill the death penalty. Uh, You lose the capacity as the church to witness to that person, to um, love that person, and try to bring them to a saving knowledge of God. And so I think that um, balancing those 
hedges on the side of having at least the most a very restrictive death penalty at, at, at the very least. And I think uh, the, uh, and I think taking into account the specifics of the person and situation as well, to what degree is this a person that can be brought to saving knowledge of, of Christ? And I think that that is something that maybe legislatively we can and should take account of when asking life in prison versus versus this. So there has been an ongoing conversation. Um, I don't know if you've been in the midst of uh, a table conversation or, you know, a conversation in the parking lot. Um, but people across the country have been lifting up and asking the question. And then Lindsey Graham did it. And Lindsey Graham said out loud what lots of people have been saying in their personal conversations. Um, and that is that someone in Russia needs to find the courage um, to, quote unquote, take out President Putin, take that guy out. And I think that when we start talking about the taking of a human life, even if the majority of people around the world agree that what that person is doing is wrong, um, we find ourselves as Christians in a um, in an important place in public discourse. Can you talk a little bit about how today in conversations that are going on, um, maybe in my very close circle of, uh, right, circle of influence, my very close sphere of influence, how do I enter into the conversation uh, about, you know, somebody should take that guy out um, when we're talking about the life of a sitting president in a foreign country? And I think you can talk about that from two angles, and both from a God-centered angle. And one is to talk about this is a human being we're talking about, made in the image of God, as I said before, and that we should not be cavalier or frivolous about a human life, and especially if we believe that person is particularly evil or, 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 or acting in an evil way. We should be praying for their repentance. We should be praying for—I mean, if you ever want to know how maybe the best way to pray the imprecatory psalms, what to do with those psalms that are raining down, you know, uh, uh, anger and, and, and curses on people from the psalms, it's really to pray that their sin dies, that they as a sinful enemy die, and that they come to Christ. And, and, the, and you know, that's talked about as a death into a new life. And I think the other thing is to say that <clears throat> for whatever reason— God has placed a pl person like Vladimir Putin in, in power, and we need to take seriously why that might be the case. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not saying that therefore all tyrants can't be resisted. Uh, uh, that is clearly in the Bible that you can resist tyrants when they're, you know, trying to keep you from worshiping or making you falsely worship or a whole host of other oppressions. But, um, but that, that, what is the way that we respect um, uh, uh, human life entirely, both the lives that uh, Putin is endangering and destroying right now and in the war that he's precipitated in Ukraine, at the same time uh, re respecting it for him as well? It kind of reminds me of when, when Martin Luther King Jr. W went to jail for protesting and wrote the, 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 the letter, uh, the, the Birmingham uh, jail letter where he said that I will respect even bad laws because I want the force of law to be respected when those laws become just. Uh, I want respect for all life, even lives that are being lived in unjust ways, and I especially want respect for the lives of rulers 
to be done in that way, because uh, in some ways they are specially imaging God as ruling and, and caretaking and exercising dominion on the earth. And I think that that is the kind of care that needs to be had when having those kind of conversations. Don't dismiss the sin. Don't dismiss the evil. Let's talk about what are the best ways to address that evil in, in a loving, God-centered way. I'm thinking here about uh, the way God used Pharaoh in the days of Joseph and then in the days of Moses. I'm thinking about the way God used the Romans to advance the gospel. Um, and I am wondering if um, if I've ever said that God's hand was on a particular person to elevate them into a particular position of leadership um, here or elsewhere, am I reserving that God has not somehow done the same in this case? And if so, how might God be using Putin to bring about revival? Um, I mean, I just don't, right? I don't, I can't know. I don't know. And to pretend to know um, is, I think, unfaithful. And so um, I certainly pray in the midst of all of it that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't always pretend to know in each and every circumstance exactly how God is working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the secret things belong to the Lord, as as Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. 29 uh, says. And I think that uh, often when we say God has raised someone up for, for you know, a moment like this, such as what happens with, uh, with, uh, in the Old Testament, um, it, it, that, I think that usually means uh, they have raised someone up to do great good. But we also see, as with Pharaoh and others, that people have been raised up um, for, to, to judge, to be a source of judgment or to merely do the regular things of government. Uh, so I think that um, um, I, I think that on one hand, we try to discern the best we can, and at the same time throw ourselves on the idea that the God that is revealed in the Bible as acting through nations and rulers, but ultimately his church, continues to at work through nations and rulers, but ultimately his church, and that at the end of all ages, uh, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That Psalm 2 and Revel- the book of Revelation will become one, and that that's ultimately what we look to, even as we see through a, a, a glass darkly here and now. Yeah, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I am going to pray that today. Um, Adam, we are so grateful to God that he is working a healing uh, in your body, and we thank you so much for the restoration of this conversation. Uh, Genuinely, genuinely welcome back, and our prayers continue for you and your family and your continued recovery. Thank you so much. Uh, You probably can tell from maybe some of my listeners, my voice might still be a little bit off, but uh, I'm so thankful that we're able to, to speak together, reason together, uh, it is a it is a wonderful form of fellowship that I have missed this last month. So thank you all. Well, we uh, we love and appreciate you and continue uh, to uphold you in our prayers. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio.
to invite you to be praying today for the um, 60,000 residents of Przemysl, Poland. I decided to lift up one city. So Przemysl, Poland is just eight miles from the Ukrainian border. The 60,000 residents of Przemysl have now taken in 80,000 refugees from Ukraine. Um, They are arriving in trains, uh, 2,000 people at a time, trains designed to carry less than half that number. Um, A train ride that should not take any time at all now takes a day and a night because the train keeps stopping, turning off all of its power and lights and telling everyone to quietly lie on the floor. Now, they're packed in there. They can't lie on the floor um, because there is ongoing fear of Russian shelling and the people are being actively warned of gunfire. Now, on these trains, it's all women and children. Um, and it's the same train platform where they arrive in Przemysl, the same train platform that the Soviets used to pack thousands of Polish people into freight cars and send them to Siberia in World War II. It's all happening in a little town or a city called Przemysl, Poland. So if you're wondering today, how do I lift up a specific place? As I'm praying the news today, I want to lift up a specific place, God. I want to see a specific people. I want to know a name. I want you to find... Przemysl, just practice saying it. It's not hard. Przemysl, Poland, and lift up uh, the residents there. Cities uh, across the eastern part of Poland, uh, cities in Romania, Hungary, Moldova, they have received one and a half million Ukrainians, and another half a million are expected to arrive in the next couple of days. Um, So let's be praying actively and ardently for them for hospitality, for resources, and for grace. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.